Today on the James Quantile Show, my conversation is with Hannah Maruyama from the Degree Free Network. Through their podcast, social media, and writing, Hannah and her husband, Ryan, provide tactical resources and best practices to get you where you want to go without getting a college degree. During our conversation, we discuss important topics such as, does everyone need to go to college? How Hannah defines success? And what skills are the most important to become successful? We also chat about how Hannah plans to educate her future children, the interesting method Hannah employed to go from a salary of $28,000 per year to 70K per year in just one month. And then shortly after that, Hannah took another online course and began making over $150,000 per year. Finally, our conversation gets a bit emotional when Hannah describes why she believes the education system is failing our children and our adults, how she thinks we should just let it die and how she'd reinvent it if she had the chance. We discussed all of this and much, much more on this episode. So please enjoy. So before we were recording, I had to hit stop on a conversation we were having because I was enjoying it so much. And I was like, we need to make sure that we record this. And we were talking about multiple tracks and how you really don't have to follow what everybody else is doing, even though everyone will tell you you do. And my first thought on that is that's so difficult because what do you say to your friends and your family when they expect you to follow a certain path and you aren't? That is probably one of the top questions that we get asked, actually, because Ryan and I grew our degree-free audience on TikTok, they are younger, right? They skew younger. And because of that, a lot of them say, you know, how do I, how do I explain this to my parents, especially the children of first-generation immigrants? I find asked this question a lot because it's very difficult for them to have this conversation with their parents uh, because their parents have just sacrificed and invested so heavily, right? To get them to the point where they have this opportunity. And there's no one way to answer the question. We had to do a podcast episode about how to talk to your parents about explaining that you're not going. And we find the best way to do it is to have a plan of some kind, you know, because you you could just say, I'm not going to go. But the problem with that is that you're giving them a problem now, not a solution. You're not saying I'm not going to go and I'm going to do X. You're just saying, I'm not going to do this thing that you believe my future security and happiness rests on. That makes sense. Okay. So the, I want to talk about two things there. And first was first generation families. The first generation is oftentimes, I read a book called The Millionaire Next Door. And most of those folks were first generation Americans who started businesses like laundry mats and car washes and septic tank emptying and maybe not all that glorious of businesses, but what they wanted was something different for their kids. They wanted their kids to be impressive and go to a school and become a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. So how, what plan do they tell their parents? Like, what do they say they're going to do? Well, I think that this issue of college versus not college is so contentious in in the U.S. because uh, essentially what's happened is colleges have packaged it as entry into a certain social class as well, right? It's everything. 
everything about, we, we measure people by whether or not they have a college degree. That's how we do employment statistics. That's how we measure life outcomes, which is kind of crazy. If you think about it, what we're looking at, what we're mostly focused on, we say this group of people gets this result because of their bachelor's degree. And this group of people gets this result because they don't have one ignoring factors that are definitely more important. Right. So there's that to start with. Like what? What's more important? Of the, the first 18 years of their life, their family background, their family structure, uh, any work experience they may have, the people around them, the mentors that they have around them, uh, the community structure they have, the work opportunities that are presented to them before they get to the point where they're paying for a degree. Colleges are the best marketing machine that has ever existed. It's unbelievable the way that they've marketed, you know, to the point where it's, you now have created salespeople for your product that didn't even buy your product, right? And you've created salespeople for your product that even though they were burned by your product, they still sell it. It's amazing. My wife um, went to the University of Michigan and graduated with a lot of student loan debt and started getting these letters from the alumni society saying, donate to the school. And we're like, donate to the school. We're still paying off the school. What do you mean? Those people will never have enough money. I tell you what, it's it's unreal. That to me was offensive. And it's like, no, like you donate to me and pay down some of this debt that I have. John Mulaney does a bit of, did a bit about that where he was talking about I'm getting these getting these letters from the alumni. He's like, you should be giving me things. I'm still paying like like you just said, I'm still paying off these loans, you know, that for a degree he doesn't even use. It's crazy. And it's that crazy. was another thing we were talking about of degrees that you noticed in the service industry. So many of your peers had these potentially impressive pedigrees of degrees and not to knock the service industry. I'm so grateful it exists, but they aren't using them to be a barista or a waiter or whatever other job that they have. But th there's no other, there's no other product that people will buy in the way that they buy college degrees, right? There's no other product or service that someone would continue buying if the result was so poor. But for these people, they're working at the time. I mean, I was uh, I think I got out of the service industry when I was probably 23, maybe 23, um, 23, 24. And when I'm, 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 I'm there working the exact same job that they are. Right. So why your, your bachelor's degree didn't work out. There was no, there was no, there was no jobs for you. You couldn't really get anywhere with it. And so they're like, huh, I guess I should just keep buying more of this. Right. Like it's insane. It's, it's crazy. And then they go and they get a master's degree and then they come right back to the restaurant and they're working right alongside me, making the same amount as me going, well, I guess I better try to get into this PhD program because they can't find a job that pays enough as they think with their master's. I'm like, what is it that makes you think that if you just keep paying that it's going to get you what you want? Right. But, but for some reason, and you, and you can't challenge it though because people get so defensive and they get so upset because of the sunk cost of how much they've paid in. So it's a very interesting, it's a very interesting dynamic that people have their relationship with their college purchase. Yeah. Their entire self-worth and identity is wrapped up that it was a good investment because if they find out it wasn't, then what did they spend all that money on and all that time and all that work on? It would shatter their existence. 
It would shatter their existence, though. They would not be able to function. Well, the colleges have to sell it like that. And I do think people are waking up to this. When I'm on Twitter and I'm on LinkedIn and I'm seeing articles, I'm seeing the Gen Z and millennial generation starting to push back against this narrative, but not at the level that we need it to. They're not going, though. College enrollment, the college enrollment is at a 50-year low. Um, the colleges are starting to panic. They are panicking. They're doing all, all types of things. They're trying to go, all right, well, we're going to do a three-year degree now. And it's like, okay, so my problem with that, <laughs> I've seen that. We're like, we're marketing a three-year degree because it's more attractive to students. And my first thought was, you could have done that the whole time. You could have done that the whole time, right? If you did it now, it means that you had the ability to graduate students in three years. So it kind of, it lowers the, it lowers the time preference, you know? So at least now your investment of time is slightly better because you gain back a year, but the money is still there. Also, I have my suspicions about whether someone would graduate in three years because most students now, over 60% of college students don't graduate for five and a half years. Wow. So yeah. what, how much debt or amount of money are they spending on college on average in five and a half years? Uh, the average college student spends 35k a year on on school. So they're, we're talking 150 plus thousand dollars. Yeah. So I commented on a friend who was was on my podcast, David Wilson, and he was actually in Dave Ramsey's debt free. I can't remember the name of the documentary. It was excellent, and he was an entrepreneur and paid for his college as he went with cash. At, by doing odd jobs and selling lawnmowers and doing all of this different types of stuff. And I think that that is a lot different than putting it all on a credit card, basically, and, 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 and not doing that. Because to me, as someone who's hired a bunch of people, I would hire someone like David, who was industrious like that. First of all, I'd hire him degree or no degree someone who got that degree and did it that in that way, that's super impressive to me. Extremely, extremely. And then the now going further into that though, I mean, one, amazing that he did that, right? But two, was it worth it, right? What if he had just put that energy that he was putting into that degree, what's that degree really worth? And I think that's actually something that we need to figure out, right? Because um, right now, like I've said, we tend to, we now use in the US, we use degrees to divide people for the rest of their lives, right? We say this group of people gets this outcome, like their marriages are better, their finances are better. They're all these things that have zero to do with whatever four year bachelor's degree that they got. Um, and and then this group of people gets this outcome because they didn't buy that really expensive product that the US government is selling, right? So interesting that we do that. But then the question is, what's the expiration date on a college degree? Because at a certain point, it no longer affects, it's no longer affecting you, right? But colleges have made it and packaged it as such that that thing is responsible for the outcome of the rest of your life. And that's why they can sell it at such a high price and nobody will question it. You know, so it's interesting because it's like, and this is something Ryan and I are trying to do is figure out some formula to calculate what the expiration date of degree is. Cause we were, we were talking the other day, his, his is no longer has, an, has nothing to do. He he's a firefighter. 
his degree has nothing to do with anything that he does now. He's an entrepreneur. Nothing that he learned in college is helping him now. And <laughs> like zero, he's like, I took nothing that was related to anything that we do now. Everything that makes us money now is self-taught, you know, and then the job that he has, you don't need a degree to do. So what's the expiration date of the degree? I look at another math problem in this. And what I wrote on Instagram that I was sort of talking about was he was, David was comparing, I think it was a, an electrician and a lawyer. And he said they were both making 80,000 a year. And he said, 80,000 a year is 80,000 a year, whether you're an electrician or a lawyer, what difference does it make? And I said, well, I did some research and I was just having fun with it. There's a lot more math that goes into that because you said five and a half years. Okay. A lot of colleges I hear say this course or this program is too intense for you to hold a job. So if you have a job, you aren't dedicated enough to this course and you can't take it. And so th this, this example, they're encouraging that person to not work at all. So basically that means 150,000 is spent on the degree and five and a half years of work time is lost. If you look at, let's say you make 50,000 a year, we're now talking what? $400,000 that you lost over that five and a half years. If you can give me five and a half years and have 400,000 in the bank or be net negative 400,000, I'm going to take the 400,000 in the bank every single time. The math will never make sense to do the degree in that scenario. And are you talking about just paying for the tuition? I'm just talking paying for the tuition and the lost the lost wages. I was including that cuz I just figured 50 grand a year for 5 and a half years, which was 250, yeah. 150 for the school, so 400,000. So there was a columnist. That's the biggest thing too. This is like there's just so there's so much here. So one, and I wanted to ask you but why do you think, so that is common. They say you, you can't work while you're getting a degree. Why do you think, like you, James, why do you think that they say that? Because you would realize, this is my perspective. You would realize, hey, I'm already out here making money. And why do I need that degree? The colleges, the college's incentive fundamentally misaligns with the student in that if the student is employed, the college loses a customer, right? What if you go to school full-time and work full-time or go to school full-time and work part-time? It's really rare that people do that. It's really rare that people do that, you know? But, but most people, if they start to make money, I think if they start to make money, they're not going to go to school. I think right now, if, if they didn't allow people to go to school until they were 25, I think you'd have 20% of the population going less. Because they would realize, hey, I've got this 401k. I have these benefits. They don't need it. I, wh why go do this now? I'll actually have to stop making money to go do this now and pay money. Which is why the urgency is to get people when they're 17 and 18 years old. You have to get them before they realize what it's like to earn their own money. And what you said about sunk cost is true too. If you spent 60000 and you were 18 months in or more than that, you're like, oh, well, I have to finish now. Even if you woke up and realized maybe it wasn't the best choice for you anymore, how do you just burn the 70,000 and quit? And that's where it gets so hard for people. But some of them, for some of them, and it's like, I really feel for them because it's the most excruciating decision, right? That they have to make when they are halfway through or, but but their outcome is not going to be that great. And it's like, man, you really just need to quit. You You need to get a job. 
you need to just work and you got to, you got to stomach the debt because the degree is not going to spending the rest of the money on the degree is not going to get you the salary that you need to pay it off anyway. So you should just cut your losses and run, you know, but everyone around them, their parents, their family, their friends, the teachers, the counselors, every other person, the media, the news, everything is telling them to stay in. So yep. how on earth do you have the, like, how do you have the courage to, to, to stop? Because then it's almost like you, it's, if you go to college and you don't get a good job and you end up sort of not being that successful. Okay. But if you drop out and then don't be successful, it's people will say it's 100% because you've dropped out and nothing else. Well, then there's a, so there's two things there too. Like, uh, there's the, what is success, right? Because the, what the median college graduate in the United States earns 54 K a year pre-tax that's success according to the colleges, right? 53% of them are making 28 K or less or unemployed, but the rest of the like new college graduates is real dismal. It is not good for them, but I'm talking people who have gotten jobs and are in the middle of their, are in the middle of their career. They're making $54,000 a year. You know what I mean? They're working for the, they're working for the state. They're working, you know what I mean? They're working mid-level admin jobs. Like they're not, you know what I mean? It, it's not, it's not like you guarantee you get six figures. Which interestingly, I just saw an article about MSNBC. It was MSNBC article. I'll have to send it to you. But it said that college graduates currently, current college students are overestimating their earnings by $50,000. Mm. The average college student believes that they will make at least $103,000 a year upon graduation. I saw a hilarious study of a survey of current college students and what they thought the average income was in America. And they're it's like unbelievable. 120,000 a year is what they thought people are making. And it's like, oh, you better check your math. <laughs> no, that's going to be a negative ghostwriter. <laughs> How do you graduate college and get a six-figure job? Because would the numbers, uh, would if, if you could go to school and make six figures guaranteed, would the math make more sense? Well, since we talked about, I think yes. I mean, I think yes, because you, at least you get closer, right? At least, at least the risk, the risk profile shrinks. So it's not as risky if you're, if your cash flow is higher, right? I think there's a few problems with that though. So one for a lot of people, if you're not working remotely, you have to move to a higher cost of living area in order to earn that type of salary. And so you're going to be spending a lot more. Your rent's going to go up. Your just general cost of existence is going to go up. And then that combined with current inflation, I mean, you get it. It's this equation is very complicated. There's just a lot of factors that go into it. Um, I also think, I mean, tech is the, definitely the easiest place or the most available place to earn that sort of income. But a lot of people we see will say, you know, well, you just major and um, just major in STEM, but 80% of STEM graduates don't work in STEM. So that's not a protection either. And that's also assuming that everybody that does work in STEM after they graduate with a STEM degree is making six figures, which is also not accurate. And what is STEM? So science, technology, engineering, and, and math. So, but those are the brilliant people. They've got to be making more than, than, than the median that pay, right? I mean, they have to. But then I don't know. And this is funny, right? Because this is, did you go to public school? What, what, what sort of school did you go to growing up? I went to a public school. You went to public school. Okay. So I went to a mix of private, public, and, and a little bit of homeschooling. But something that 
when we think about STEM, what job comes to your mind? I, I always think computer programmer, NASA worker, something, I don't know, impressive maybe. My, I mean, an engineer working in automotive industry. I grew up in the Detroit area, stuff, stuff like that. Well, so there's a lot of jobs in those categories, but the majority of jobs, like, you know, you're going to have a triangle of people, right? You're going to have your highly skilled NASA, you know, your NASA rocket scientists at the top, but at the bottom, there's a lot of people that work in STEM that are just working, you know, $15 an hour jobs. So does, if someone works the phones at SpaceX, are they working in STEM? Yes. And they're making... 14 to 20 bucks an hour, probably. Correct. Correct. So actually, it's, it's, I don't know about SpaceX specifically, but they might be working in Mexico or the Philippines. Right. Right. And so it's such a, it's, it's, do you see how this whole thing is just so skewed though? Because for like, why, when you and I think of a job, do we think of the highest tier of the job, right? If you say somebody works for the government, like, what do you think of? Right. You what, think of a politician, you, you think of a governor, you think of... Right. Of You don't think of someone working at the DMV. No. Right. So it's it's this... but And I think a lot of that is because a lot of school structure is designed to sell us college degrees. And not... I, I don't think that like, the teachers are all... You know what I mean? It's not like a cabal of teachers. I just think the system is designed to sell this product because it's a very profitable thing to sell. So, okay. Let's just flip it. Complete 180. And just assume everyone agrees college is a bad investment. How do we set people up for success then not going to college? Like what should they do when they graduate high school instead of college to be successful? Get any job. Any job. Any job. So one thing that one thing that we're pretty pretty big on, and this is this is what we try to practice, what we preach, but basically what we try to teach people how to do. And this is something Ryan actually came up with because he, he was looking at, he was thinking about how he grew up too. And he grew up in an Asian household, right? And so there's very strict expectations for what type of work you're going to do, how you're going to get into it. Um, I grew up with a little more free range than that. And so while I was expected to go to school and I was, I'm the first one in my family to not actually, you know, not getting a college degree at the time was, a was a big deal. Um, but for Ryan, he was like, I just didn't know what jobs were out there, right? Because think about in school, right? They teach us what 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 is what does every kid want to be when they grow up, right? What do they teach us? Our worksheets, right? Veterinarian, doctor, firefighter, sometimes police officer, teacher. That's like it. Those are the ones. I had computer you know? programmer. When I look at like my stuff in school when I was a kid, I wanted to be a computer programmer. That's very unusual. Why? I loved computers. I, my dad was an earlier adopter to technology. So I think it was uh, mid nineties. I was under 10 years old and I was computer programming and it was early. And I would sit in class completely ignoring the teacher writing computer code on paper because there weren't computers in the classroom. And I would go sure. home and type that into my computer. It was visual basic at that point and was just doing it by hand and eventually kind of discovered other ambitions and stopped doing that completely. But 
I, I know that I could get a tech job pretty easily, I think, with no degree and just based on rudimentary knowledge of how things work. Dude, that's super unusual for someone to have thought about computer programming, I think, at that age, especially at that time, too, when there probably weren't a lot of computers at your school, it sounds like. No, there weren't computers in the school. We had a computer lab with like the Macintosh machines. And I remember sitting in computer in typing class like there was I don't know if there's still typing class and my teacher would like be forcing us to type a certain way and I would like type that way when she was around and when she left I would do my own way that I learned from you know being on a computer 10 hours a day every day at home and I was the number one fastest typer in the class every single time and I'm sitting there going this doesn't make any sense this person's actually trying to slow me down and that was Sort of when I got, that's one of the many, many examples of when I started to get disenchanted with the education system, when I realized I was doing something better than anyone in the class, number one, but being told the way I was doing it was wrong. That made absolutely no, I forgot about this, but that made no sense to me in any way. The second example, I have so many, but another example came when I was now a manager and I was 18 or 19 years old and managing what i was managing a clothing store nice and i was out to lunch with a friend of mine from high school who was in college and i was already a manager for two years with a 401k making pretty good money and they were still in school and by the time they graduated i was already middle management making great money with a funded 401k and no debt and i just was like this doesn't make any sense but hey you know good for him like if that's what they want to do it's what they want to do but uh i just think how do we show people the alternatives i guess how do you like, i know you're doing it with your podcast and your youtube channel and your your education materials on your website and that's great but how do you elevate it to a like a bigger level so and and this is like this is the this is the problem right this is this is the question like this is this is the core question. So there's a few things. Um, one, and this, like I said, this is Ryan. This is Ryan's. Uh, this is Ryan's brainchild. And I will credit. I will say this is definitely a years uh, as entrepreneurs, as as entrepreneurs and business owners. Uh, Ryan and I were raised by Tim Ferriss and James Altucher. Like everything that we know, we learn from them. <laughs> which is, you know, and, and ironically enough, now I'm talking to you because I heard you on a, I heard you on his podcast, but like just this sort of coming up with some sort of framework to solve this problem. And Ryan's like, it's vocational creativity. And that the problem is that we don't teach kids vocational creativity. And I think a lot of teachers are unable to teach vocational creativity because they don't have any, right? They became teachers because they saw other people be teachers and that is why people become teachers. It's what they see. It's what's in their field of vision, right? Because now kids, one of the top things that kids want to be is YouTube stars. Why? Because they see it, right? And so I think that um, at Ryan and I are actually expecting, we're expecting our first baby in two months. Oh, so congrats. That's excellent. <laughs> yeah. So we're really excited. So are you going to homeschool like, or private school or public school? Homeschool. Homeschool for, for sure. For a fact. Yeah. 
Yeah. And do you, yeah, I would, not to get way off tro- topic, but you know, this is the James Quandall show and that's what we do. But I am curious, do you, have you been studying any alternative education methods for kids and any people or books or things that you're looking at? Well, so what's interesting is I think that aside, my mom taught all four of my siblings and I, my mom was a nurse. I was an ER nurse. And so she taught all four of my siblings and I at different periods when we were moving around because we went in and out of public, private, and then um, I think private school, like two, three years and then back into public school. So I actually graduated from a public high school. But um, she, one thing she did, she just read. I don't think that educating children is that complicated, actually. <laughs> There's my... <laughs> There's my uh, laissez-faire parenting style, uh, uh, in theory, parenting style, because you know we're we're still uh, we're still wishy-washy because we're a first-time parents, so we don't know anything. So, at what age should I check back in with you on if it worked or didn't work? <laughs> I think I'll know by the time they're thirteen. Is that whether the age? it worked or if didn't work? Yeah. Okay. Thirteen. I, I don't think there's much you can do after that. Uh, honestly, like I think at that point, there you you got to get. You have to get the foundations, the morals, everything has got to be instilled real young. And honestly, like once they're teenagers, they're kind of, they can kind of do what they want. I'm, I'm wondering if it's even too late then. You just don't see it that it was too late until then. But kids are watching everything. everything. And so whatever you do is what they're going to do. And yep. I feel like that's already in them pretty young. Like it's taken me a really long time to change my health and my life outlooks from how I was raised. And it's taken mm-hmm. a lot of deliberate effort. It was not easy. And it's still a struggle every single day to be different than how I was raised and love my parents and everything that I learned and 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 where they were able to get me in my life. But if you want more, you have to put in more effort. Yep. Yep. And more effort or different effort right like you could put in the same amount of effort and just trade out where you put it definitely and and i think that that i think that that's what we you know we've had a lot of discussions about this obviously because um when ryan and i first met from from the time we first met you know uh, i said i want to get married i'm not interested in dating you if (laughs) you're not interested in marriage you know that's fine with me and he was like all right sounds good (laughs) so obviously that worked out well um, but so, so kids have been on the roadmap from very early. Cause we were, you know, I was like, I want a family, I want to be married. And he's like, yep, I want kids too. This is so, so it's been part of our, um, relationship really early on. So it's something we've talked about for years and years. Um, but realizing that what I think what my mom did really well was she read to us. She read out loud, which there's been a lot to suggest that just, if you read out loud to your children, you give them an advantage over a lot of other children. Mm-hmm. And um, I tend to adhere to the philosophy of Mar- like Marcus Aurelius, right? He thinks that class sizes are the thing that makes uh, an outcome of a student. And if you look at stats now, there's a lot to suggest that that's the case. The smaller the class size, and the reason is because you can tailor education and pace to the student, right? So a teacher, even somebody, you take anybody off the street and you give them four kids as opposed to 30 kids. And those four kids are going to have a better outcome because they have more individualized attention. Right. So 
just making sure that we pay attention to what they're adept at, what they're curious about. And really, they just need to know um, math. They need to know how to do math. That was something that my parents did not make me do that I bitterly regret because it, it crippled me as an adult. Uh, and fortunately, my husband is very mathematically inclined, but um, they need to know how to read. They need to know how to write. They need to know how to speak confidently, public speaking. We're going to teach them how to play chess and we're going to teach them math. And that's it. They'll be fine. They can learn a language. They'd be great. Right. Definitely. And I love that. That's great. Especially the chess, because I wish that I would have, I learned when I, it was nine, I think it's 1998. I remember and played like two times with a friend and never played again until just like four years ago. And then I got obsessed with it. And I, it might've, I was diagnosed with ADD and no, me was too. given, <laughs> you know, drugs and other things to try to make me be like everyone else. And um, instead what I needed, I now know because I can read 50 plus books a year and write and podcast and learn skills if I'm interested in them. Yes. If I'm not interested, I don't care. (laughs) So if you want me to learn math or something, show me why it's valuable to me and then I'll learn it. And I think that's what we're missing a lot of times in school. It's like, hey, you need to know this because you need to know it. You're going to get graded on it. Not enough for me. Maybe for some people was never enough for me. That is the exact thing that I tell Ryan when I say, you know, in my mom never was able, never able to answer that question for me. Cause she's not, a, she's not really great at math either. And no teacher I had after was able, I was like, why do I need this? And not a single one of those people could tell me what the reason was because they didn't use it either. That's the reason, yeah. right? If I had asked a business owner, why do I need to know how to solve for X? They would have said, because sometimes you're looking at numbers and you need to know what this number is. And this number is really important because it means either your business is going to succeed or fail and you can't pay your employees and you can't do this other thing that you want to do for your business, right? If someone had explained it to me in that sense, I, I would have had a completely different viewpoint, Yeah, but nobody that I asked that question of was using it for any practical purpose. But if the math that we learned in school was practical, we would be doing the math as juniors or seniors of average incomes that people are making with different degrees. We would be figuring out what it's going to cost, what the investment's going to cost. We would be doing the math on how many years until we paid it back and how much salary we were giving up. We would be running all those numbers. And I'm not saying that they're like trying to deliberately uneducated. I will. I will. I won't say I will. that. I say that. I say that all the time. I'm like, if you were trying to sell a very high risk financial product to a child, why would you teach them how to know that it's not a good investment? Right. It's a really simple, like, and not in an emotional sort of way. Would but you they put think them with the- they think it's, I th- what is it? High clans principle. I don't remember. Hecklian's razor. It's some philosophy. Oh, Occam's, Occam's razor. I don't even know. I just heard about it. But they basically were saying, well, they don't have bad intent. They just believe it 100%. It's the best method. And yes. so they cannot see any other way. They can't yes. see that. Uh, they look at someone like me who is successful with no college degree and someone like you who is su- successful with no college degree as an anomaly. We, yes. th- this is not common. Other people can't do this. It's not predictable. And 
their system, they believe, works more than what we did. But it's like, it's, and that's where this is, there's just such a, <laughs> there's just so much here, right? There's just so much here to pull apart, but it's like, okay, so, and this is something that, that Ryan and I talk about frequently, but the fact is the people that get good outcomes from college degrees, and this is shown by the fact that I think that this is evidenced by a few things. One, um, so 20%, only 20% of millionaires don't have college degrees, right? So it's, it's like 80% of millionaires do have college degrees, but then when you get to the billionaire level, 30% of billionaires don't have college degrees, right? If this was consistent, that number would go down. Why does it go up? Right? So are they anomalies or is there something about the fact that these people who are millionaires, which is a more frequent, good outcome is that those people are going to be successful regardless of whether or not they got a college degree, right? Because the college, really what the college is doing, it's like taking a bunch of kids and they're going to go play basketball and you only pick the ones that are over six feet and they're better at dunking. And you're like, these kids are just, they're good. They're good basketball players and they can dunk because they went to our basketball program. And it's like, well, you only picked kids who are over six feet. So that kind of makes sense. Right. And so I think it's, and I think it's kind of changing now, which is why there's so much like social discontent around this too, because that's what the colleges did for a long time. They're rubber stamping people who were going to have a good life outcome, regardless of whether or not the college was involved. Mm. And the college was just saying, this is our, we did this and now we're going to charge everybody else. But as the value proposition has gone down and as they've gotten greedier and as they sell this, they lower, they lower standards so they can sell to more people and they'll sell it to anybody now. And as that changes, there's a lot of discontent because people who were not necessarily didn't have the same characteristics or set of circumstances that were going to make, that was going to make it easier for them to succeed in life. Now these people are not getting the same result. And so there's this growing discontent, right? So it's just this whole, like, there's just so much, there's just so much here. And it's just really interesting to watch it from a distance too. Like just, it's crazy. Yeah, It's crazy. I think a great book for you to read if you haven't, and it would really feed into your story here is The Millionaire Mind. And I have never read that. It talks about decamillionaires versus millionaires because there's a big difference between having 10 million and having 1.5 million. And mm -hmm. the percentage of them that inherited that wealth to, and the, the careers that these people had and the way that they made that money, it's all fascinating because the decamillionaires more often than not were entrepreneurial and were mm -hmm. doing things that were outside of a, what you would consider a standard career path. Um, yep. One thing I do, I want, I want to talk about college, countries where college is free. Because I think it, it mm. would change the story a little bit if college didn't cost anything. It was like, go to college, three and a half, it, it's three years now, let's say. Go there for three years, find out who you are, and you don't lose any money except maybe the working money that you could have made. And you don't have debt when you walk away. And I'm specifically thinking of an Italian that I met and was leaving church. And we just it was Easter Sunday, and I saw this guy, looked like he was just kind of coming through town and he had sailed to my town from the Bahamas and he was from Italy. And then the next year he came back and he, and we, he actually came over for dinner and brought his nephew and his nephew lived in Italy and said he could have gotten a bachelor's degree for free, but he chose not to. 
And I go, well, that is very, very interesting. I want to understand that a little bit more. And he said, in my country where everyone has a degree, it's not as valuable. And so mm-hmm. I work at a meat market and that's what I do. And that was fascinating to me. Well, that, and that's my question, right? Because when I have this conversation with people, it, it, it inevitably a bunch of people just like, well, it should just be free. And I'm like, but why? If it's something that's not valuable, right? And half the time it gets a poor outcome. Why do we need to make it freely available to everybody? Why do we need to do that? Why do we need to continue to prop up this thing? Just let it die. Just let it collapse. Like the ones, the there are a few private universities that do, um, and this is just a whole, there's... <laughs> Again, this is such a complex, there's just so much here, but um, if you've never looked it up, uh, look up the CLA. Uh, The CLA is the Collegiate Learning Assessment, and this was about 10 years ago now, and it was a a way to assess how much value college students were getting out of their college education. Come to find out that about 45% of them showed little to no improvement in critical thinking, um, being measured by things like being able to read a, a credit card brochure like basic literary comprehension. And to me, and, and I think it's funny because a lot of people, college graduates, they get really defensive about that. So I'm like, you can't tell me that this thing is designed to make you a critical enlightened thinker. And then half the time it fails to do that. And then your defense is, well, it's the student's problem. I'm like, no, you're paying for the college to teach you how to do those things. And if they fail to do so, that is on the college. That is not on the people that are paying for them to do it, Right. Um, but as soon as that happened, as soon as that happened, the colleges were the ones who came up with this, right? They came up with the assessment and they were all gung ho about it until they started to fail it. And then they're like, you know what? We don't like this anymore. I'm like, well, of course you don't, because it shows how poorly you're doing the very thing that you sell. Right. And there was the secretary of education got involved. There's this whole like committee form. There's all this stuff of people looking into this and then nothing came of it because it makes too much money. Right. Yeah. So I'm curious. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine is a proponent of what he's calling, or I guess it's called unschooling. And there's a woman, Judy Arnell, wrote a book called Unschooling to University. And it's basically not homeschooling, it's unschooling. And by definition, what that means is a kid still has to learn and be schooled, but it's self driven based on what they're interested in. And if they show interest in history, you let them go deep as they want to go on history, knowing that they're going to learn way more than just the basics of the Roman Empire when they do that. You're going to learn English. You're going to learn writing. You're going to learn research. You're going to learn Latin. You're going to learn all this other stuff just because you're interested in history. And then that interest tide goes out. And now they're interested in entrepreneurship and they need to learn how to read a P&L and so they can find out if they're making money and they learn 10 years worth of math in one summer because they're finally interested in numbers and it's really self-guided but with parents that are engaged and have the means to get them what they need and it's a really easy sell to me if you're in private school and you're paying 40000 a year for the kid's education Think of what you could do with 40000 a year in private tutors, in books, in trips around the world. You could do so much. And well, this, that's, that turned into something too, where um, there's been sort of a movement. This, turn, this goes now into school, like K through 12 education, but the outcomes are so poor, right? Like 
there's, there's a ton of people that graduate from public high school and can't read. And yet we continue to elevate it. Like it's this, you know, like this, this holy calling this great institution. I'm like, it's failing almost everybody. I don't understand. Like, why do we keep pretending like it's successful when it's not, um, you know, the, and there's a bunch of reasons that go into that, that are not worth talking about because nobody agrees, but you can just look at it objectively and say, it's not doing well for the students in it. So what about taking the amount of money that goes per student, which is sometimes staggering, sometimes equal to that of a private school? And what if you gave it to the parents to give to pod schools? You gave it to the parents to give to, you know, specialized art lessons or math tutoring. And what if you did that? And what would the country look like if you allowed, if you equipped parents with the money that since you're taking the money from everyone anyway, why don't you deal it out to the parents and allow them to choose how to educate their children right and that's some that's an interesting thought and i don't mean like give them give them cash i mean give them v- vouchers or whatever that go however you know however that would make sense but that to me i've always thought that's interesting too the only solution is to pump more money into a failing system same thing with the colleges right like write them a blank check and now it's free forever as opposed to or <laughs> maybe we stop buying something that's bad and we try to allow people to buy something that's good. What really worries me is comparing the United States to other countries in the world and how quickly we're falling behind. And I don't know these stats. In every but way. basically every category. <laughs> English, yeah. math, sciences. And if we weren't the home of the free and the brave and had people that still wanted to come here to be free we'd be in big trouble because the education, we're falling so far behind. Well, it's, yeah, it's pretty concerning. The math, the coming shortage of uh, of skilled tech workers, the coming shortage of workers in general, right? Um, just as everybody, as everybody retires, you're looking at shortages in the trades, you're looking at shortages in tech just due to demand, you're looking at shortages in everything. Um, and then you have this group of people who by and large, like, you know, don't want to work for the available wage, which is interesting, right? Because they went to college and so they feel like they can't work, which I guess they, they kind of can't work for a certain wage because they paid so much money. But then, you know, the market didn't guarantee them a wage. The colleges did and the colleges have nothing to do with the market. And so there's just this huge disconnect and there's just so many issues. And how do you how do you solve all of this? You know, it, it just we get, it gets really complicated really quick. I think it's on parents to individualize the learning experience K through 12 for their children in the best way that they can. And I don't know how you lobby and advocate to change the entire system. I, it might be too late. I don't know if it's possible. I think it's going to be individuals, well, one person at a time. And that's actually, that actually loops us back around to the vocational creativity uh, philosophy that Ryan has sort of created this framework that he's that he's working on, which is to teach people how to think creatively about careers, right? Because kids can't be curious about something they don't know exists. Um, and so that's part of that's part of what we're trying to do, which is while we create resources for people who have degrees already or don't want to get degrees and are older now and they're trying to figure out what, what kind of work to do. But below that, you know, we're trying to we want to help parents and kids to kind of look at what options are available to me. Right. And so looking at Ryan uses the example of a plane, he explains this better than me, but he's like, so you look at a plane. Most people have been on a plane or seen a plane. Now, 
what sort of jobs would you typically think are associated with a plane with with a plane you're asking me mm-hmm. well i'm in flight school so i should be able to answer oh. this pretty well flying has um, technicians that are working on the plane they have manufacturers that are making parts and making the plane they have certifying bodies at the faa that are making sure airplanes are airworthy and there's inspectors who are inspecting inspecting crashes there's uh there's controllers at the airports there's uh, on big planes there's flight attendants there's uh, pilots there's second in command there's all kinds of jobs i mean many 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 jobs i could probably name a hundred there you go there's there's i shouldn't have asked you i should have asked somebody who doesn't know anything about planes <laughs> not a professional <laughs> But, but yes, you know, there's people that load cargo, there's people that clean the planes, there's people that manufacture the seats, there's people that there's people that make the safety briefing videos at the beginning of a flight. Then if you go into that, there's people that wrote the script for that video, there's people that do the makeup, the hair and makeup on set for those people, there's people that edit, there's people that do graphic design for that, there's people that run the tech launch of the material that they do to make marketing for the for the airline there's people that run the back of house systems that run you know that run the crm for the airline there's just so much but in school they don't teach that they don't teach it so people wouldn't know that's why where he's trying to come up with examples and just saying like what we need to teach kids is vocational creativity and the best way for them to learn that is for is for their parents when they say oh like they see a guy putting out cones by the side of the road you know what I mean? And the kid's like, oh, that's cool. And they're like, oh, you know, you know, that's a job, right? You know, you could do that, right? Pay 40 bucks an hour, you know, yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. And like teach, teach them that, like teach them how to think that way. Because if you teach a kid creativity and you teach them like, like you were, like you were talking about, but teach them the world is open not that they can only do these things. And then there's only one entry point to any of those few things that you just taught them about. Right. Because it's basically this, like, if you don't pass go, if you don't pass go, you can't collect $200. And that's just not true. That's just not true. It reminds me of a story recently. I was at the farmer's market and I met a, a young lady and uh, she she said her husband was, was in the Marines. And I was like, oh, is he a pilot? And she looked and she was like kind of sad. And she's like, no, he puts the bombs on the plane. And I'm like, why are you the only reason I could think of that she'd be disappointed in me asking that question the way I did was because people aren't as impressed with that as the pilot. But we yes. need the bombs on the plane. We need all the other jobs we outlined and maybe more important than the pilot. You know, there's all these people that will are willing to maybe fly a plane, but we need all the the integral parts that go into it as well. And we should be proud of all those parts. They all play a role. We need them all. And, and I think that that's, that's a huge part of it too, right? It's the, and this is where the parents become really important as well. And I have two stories about that, actually. One, uh, I remember in Savannah, um, I was on River Street and I was sitting, I think I was just having a beer or something. I was sitting, having a beer and I started talking to this, to this guy. He was just sitting there smoking a cigarette and he's talking and um, Savannah has that big, the port, right? The huge, huge port right there. And um, he was working on the tugboats. He worked on the boat. I was like, oh, what do you do? And he said, oh, I work on the tugboats. I was like, really? That is super cool. I was like, what do you do? And he's like, oh, you know, I fix the engines. And I was like, you fix engines on tugboats? That's really cool. He was young. 
was like 21 years old, you know, this is years ago. But, and I was like, how did you learn how to do that? And it was very clear that no one has ever expressed any interest or admiration for his job. <laughs> it's like, dude, this kid, then this kid was out earning all at the time I was, I was college age, but I wasn't in college and he was steamrolling all of us in earnings. I was like, this guy, this kid's making great money. He's like, and he's like, yeah, well, you know, so I, and he, he just lit up and he started talking about, you know, he started talking about how to, how he fixes the boats and how he learned to fix engines and growing up, he would just take stuff apart. But now too, there's just this like overwhelming feeling that, that people too, they feel like they need a college degree before they even start doing anything. Like they need a college degree before they start messing with an engine. They need a college degree before they take a laptop apart and put it back together. You know, it's like they have to check this box before they're allowed to do anything. I wonder a lot. The first college, wherever it was, let's say it was Oxford. I don't know. I think it was William and Mary. <laughs> I, I think, I think it might. Oh, oh wait, in the U.S. or just in general? I don't even know. But my point is, what was the pedigree of those people teaching? They weren't teaching. No, they, they didn't, didn't have, have college a college degrees. degree, but they started the first college. I just wonder, like. That seems so common sense to me that they're no, no, no. You can't do that. People get really upset. They get really upset. Let me tell you. But that's so <laughs> common. That makes so much sense to me. Like, well, like somebody had to like be the first person to teach a class that had never been to college before. Like, what's wrong with that? Well, and then their argument, the counterpoint usually is, well, that was a long time ago, and I'm like, it's easier now to learn than it's ever been. Why is that a valid? That's not a. You don't have to memorize argument. anything now <laughs> because you can look up anything on Google or learn basically anything you want on YouTube. So, and people will get super upset about that. Like, well, you can't just. I wouldn't want somebody who's just learned on YouTube. And I'm like, tell me that you didn't just go to class digitally for two years, and that your college professor wasn't playing tutorials of some guy who lives in India who's way smarter than him making tutorials on this technical thing that you need to learn. And that professor literally just played a video of some other guy who's smarter than him teaching well, you how I, to do. That I always thing. make a joke. I say, well, okay, so you're gonna go get an operation. Well, what what grade did that surgeon get in cutting? at school like okay. did they get a c or a d <laughs> like how did they do like okay they got the degree cool but like were they like up top of their class in that maneuver like where were they at or did they learn a lot of that in the weeds in the trenches in the, like in the operating room with an expert there watching them you might already be doing this i apologize if you already are but no highlighting the stories of that engine guy from savannah we're, we're that, working on me, it like, so how like okay here's a cool job here's what he's making and here's how he got there and that would be so interesting because there's so many alternatives we can even even if we put aside the math and the institution and the facts about the literacy and all the critical thing and all that if we took all that away and just yeah, showed there was alternatives and people are right. making it without it, not even to put it against that. Like, just so you know, there's another option. If you love engines, you don't have to do that. You could do this instead. And I think that would change everything. So that is why um, we're excited to have you on. And that I'm sure what Ryan's Ryan is going to get in touch with you about prep for that, you know, if you're willing to. But that's 
that would be the type of interview we would do with you, which would be to share your knowledge, right? Because what we did was we created a degree-free questionnaire. And so we created a mentorship questionnaire and what we're calling these people are degree-free mentors. So these are people who are engineers at high-level companies. These are people who are midwives, certified, certified practical midwives that deliver babies and do not have a medical license, right? Um, we're just wide range, wide range of things like tech workers, welders, uh, you know, um, even private school teachers, we've got, we've just professors of, you know, professors of industry, people that do not have college degrees, but teach, we're just trying to show the full spectrum. Like these are your options, right? This is what people have done. This is how they have done it. And we're going to ask them to tell their story and tell other people how to do it. So we send out this questionnaire and they fill it out and it's amazing. And it's, what's really amazing is the amount of these people are busy, but the amount of care that they put into these answers is just like, it's enough to just make you cry because mm. they're, it's very clear. No one's ever asked them. It's very clear that nobody has ever asked them and no one has ever expressed how amazing it is that they did what they did. Right. I have like, uh, and, and a, a neighbor of mine, it, I don't think it's ever going to go away from my, my DNA. There's parts of me that feel inadequate because I didn't finish school, even though I am successful and I created a life of my dreams. I basically just wrote on paper what I wanted and I went and did it, right? But part of me, it's been conditioned into me so well that part of me feels inadequate without a degree. And I know it's BS. Like on the surface level, I know that's completely BS, but- Somewhere inside of me, from conditioning of my entire life, it's a sm small bit of inadequacy from not getting a degree. And I don't think anything's ever gonna, nothing's ever going to take that out of me. It's never going to go away. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. It was 12 years and you were a kid. And it's, you can't, I think that I might have just missed that because I think I felt that way for a while. And then now I'm just like, you know, it's, it's laughable. It's laughable. Um, and it's funny when people try to, what, what's funny, I think too, is that another thing that college marketing has done is they've really effectively married, educated and degreed mm. and papered, right? Mm -hmm. Those are not the same thing. <laughs> Colleges don't own education. Education is a, a value, a state of being. And a college is a place that sells a product and a service. These are not, these are not remotely the same. You know, Clorox is not clean. They don't own clean. Clean is a state of being, right? It's a value. It has nothing to do with this company. And I think that that's something that we have to do is really, we have to divorce those two things. But you would, you should see the screeching when I say that. <laughs> Just because your paper does not mean that you're educated. Like there are a lot of people that have degrees that are not educated. And that's, but people believe if you buy a college degree, you're educated. It's like I've hired thousands of people in my career before I became self-employed. And the degree made no difference to me if someone had one or didn't have one. I knew generally within 40 seconds, nine times out of 10, if that person was going to be a good worker for me or not. Not mm -hmm. even looking at their resume. Just from How? walking to the front of the building to go shake their hand and walk them back into my office and interview them from that short 45 second walk i basically already knew if i was going to hire them or not and just a feeling just you shake their hand and say hey thanks for meeting me really looking forward to talking with you come with me 
and how they respond, what they say, how they look, their eye contact, their handshake, their demeanor, their energy, so many things that aren't on paper that nine times out of 10, I got it right and could predict it. Now, sometimes I was way wrong and was fooled. It's not, it wasn't perfect, but it was more about the person than their qualifications or their pedigree. It was just about them. And it was about their own energy and their, their own personality. And, and the degree didn't really matter to me. Now, I was hiring for supervisor positions, manager positions, full-time sales positions. This was at Best Buy. I was there almost a decade. So I was hiring oh, wow. all those positions. Um, and you know, I think the highest paid person that worked for me was probably making... I don't know, 50,000, right? So it wasn't it wasn't like six-figure jobs that I was hiring for, but I could determine within 45 seconds and not from their paperwork, but because of who they were. A lot of the people that are hiring for positions don't actually manage people or train people. So Correct. they hire for a position, but then they never hold anyone accountable and they never develop or train anyone and they've never actually gave someone direct feedback, except firing them and just reading that off a script or something. So they don't really know people and they may, and not, this is just a generality. There are exceptional mm -hmm. recruiters and they may be hiring for a position they've never done before. And right. I think the reason I was gifted at choosing talent was because I worked my way up from the bottom and I worked almost every position in that building at one point. So I knew if someone was going to be a good fit just based on who they were. And you can learn a lot about someone in 40 seconds. That, that is the truth. That is the truth. Do you think, does that translate, does that experience translate into hiring virtually? So have you hired anyone virtually since you've, since you've been out of, the, out of Best Buy? I really haven't done any significant amount of hiring since I left. Um, just like subcontractors and, and, and that sort of stuff, like nothing major. And I'm kind of afraid, I'm kind you know. of afraid of it truthfully, because it's just, you know, you hear of these people who are working four jobs remotely, making a hundred grand at each of them doing some tech job and they have a life shelf life of 21 days or something before they get caught and get fired. And it's just it's the work environment out there is scary right now it's it's a pretty wild so we haven't even touched on this too but like the the way that i got my tiktok following was i started talking about the fact that i was working in a call center i was selling timeshare for uh, oh, no. uh i'm not gonna say how the company dare name. you yes no you know what you know what i will say this and i will say this till the day i die but there is nobody that can sell like a timeshare salesman because nobody wants to buy it. <laughs> nobody wants to do it. Nobody wants to buy it. I think selling is one of the best skills that anyone can learn in their life. And I think this is something I want you to finish your call, your, your call center story, but it is something I want to get to Be essential skills. We have to learn whether through college or self-study selling is on the, almost the very top of that list for me. It's the top of the list. In our, we, we just wrote, we basically have a textbook right now that we, we had a like really entry level guide and Ryan and I just finished writing what is 200 plus pages exhaustive. Wow. So you, are you going to actually a massive publish tome. it and put it on Amazon or are you just going to give it away? 
Um, so we're just going to sell it in a PDF form on our Why don't you website. put it on Kindle? Um, uh, you know, uh, because we, we've never, so this is so funny, but this is a James Ultra thing. So I've actually written and published two mm -hmm. books already. Um, they were about tattoo because Ryan and I owned a tattoo shop, uh, a while back. It's, this is just, uh, it's a while it's, it's a, it's a long journey, but, um, we published two books about, uh, about tattoo that they, they sell. Okay. Cause they're really specific. Right. Um, but this specific thing is a workbook that we've created a support system for. So we're selling the book, but then we're also going to package like support for the people that are going through this. Cause it's what it's teaching them to do. It's not teaching them the skill, right? What it's doing is teaching them where to figure out the skill, how to interview, how to research jobs, vocational creativity, like how to, how to network, how to, inter like how to, how to approach people, how to just, because people are not taught this. They don't know how to do it. It's a huge disadvantage to them if they don't know how to do these things or they're scared of doing it, but that's what they need in order to get work, right? Um, and I think that that's been the only reason that I found success really at the end of the day is because I am pretty shameless. Like I'll just, I'll just ask, I'll just walk in places and ask people things. I'll, I'm not afraid to walk in and to, to cold walk into a place and say, well, I am afraid, but I'll just do it, right? But I just say, hey, um, you know, when we were marketing our tattoo shop, I just walked into a barbershop and said, hey, uh, we do this. Uh, we share some clientele. I'm going to take some of your cards. Um, we're going to give you, uh, you know, this much, this much of a of an affiliate. If you send people to our shop, uh, how does that sound to you? You know, just just doing and, and just honing those cold, <laughs> cold approach skills. Right. But sales will help that sales will Definitely. help that for sure. And like we yep. said about the 45 second walk into the office, reading people is another skill of knowing if someone's telling you the truth or what kind of person they are. And that's something people are really bad at. If you can actually learn to read people and how they're feeling, you can do really well in life because most people have no clue how people around them are feeling. And if you learn, it's so obvious. You can almost... I swear when I look at someone, a stranger that's sitting on a bench or someone that walks by, I can see a color. Like I actually almost can see a color radiating from them that's telling me who they are and, and how they're feeling and what they're going through. And it's usually pretty close to right. I wonder if, um, are, are you, uh, of you and your wife, are you the more creative of, of the two of you? It's, I don't know because up until the last few years when I quit Best Buy, I would have never thought I was a creative person at all. So I don't know. I don't really know. Maybe. Because I think creatives are a little more just, we just feel stuff. I was not creative. I would not have ever considered myself creative until the last few years. And maybe it's because of what society defines as creative is like, you have to be a drawler or a painter or a sculptor or something or <laughs> yeah, you have to be a, you have to have like, you have to have an interest in bongo drums and, you know, uh, have dreadlocks or, or yeah, like, I don't know, wear tie dye shirts in order to be a creative. We have this very narrow <laughs> creativity can show up in so many different ways. And so, you know what, I'm going to just say, yes, I am a creative and as far as if I'm more creative than my wife or not, I don't know. But I'm definitely a creative and 
by exposing myself to additional experiences and getting myself uncomfortable and trying new things, I'm becoming more creative every day. So we mentioned people skills and that's like, there's a million micro skills that go into people skills, but what are some other things that we could frame it that colleges aren't teaching people, but that's, I think kind of negative, but we could frame it of things that people need to be successful. But before we do that, I am curious, what is successful to you? Like what, how do you even define successful? Because if you're saying colleges aren't setting us up for success, what's success? Ooh, good one. Um, I believe that there is no one definition of that. I think that that really depends on your, I mean, you got to go to your Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? So you got to have those covered. And then you have your basic, your, you have your basic wants, you know, and then your basic, your basic needs. And so I think there's a lot to be said for my, what I think success is, is, um, having, I think that, <laughs> I think that having a, you know, for me personally, I think having a good marriage is right there at the top. I think everything stems from that. I think you and I probably are pretty much on the same page about that. Um, having, being able to have some sort of freedom, you know, for like be that financial or time freedom, whatever that looks like to you, as long as you're, you know, you have a roof over your head, you're able to eat, you know, what you'd like to eat. I think as long as you're able to spend time with who you'd like to spend time with, I feel like that's successful. Um, I don't think that you need to be passionate about your work. I think that's a bunch of bull. <laughs> I don't think that serves anyone. Well, I think that that, um, I think that that's been huge too, as we've started talking about this, but telling people like, you don't need to love your job. That's something that, um, does help colleges sell degrees. Well, though. you Again, actually do love your job if you're good at it. So if it's a good fit for you, you, love your job, it, you like it. And Cal Newport wrote a book called so good they can't ignore you and he said there's jobs like executive assistants and all these kind of thankless jobs that are like one person removed from like the pinnacle of what everyone thinks is successful and people on their deathbeds they're like hey if you could go back would you be a firefighter again or would you be an executive assistant again or would you be a teacher again or would you almost every time the person says, yeah, I would absolutely go back and do that again. And the reason is because that's what they did and that's what they were good at. So it made them happy. So a lot of times if someone's not happy at the mm -hmm. job they're doing, I think they're probably just not good at it. It's not a good fit for them. They need to go find a vocation that they can get good at. And sometimes that takes time. Like you may not, like my first day at Best Buy, I almost didn't go back. I was scared. I hated it. It was uncomfortable. I was having to do all these things I wasn't good at, but I'm glad I stuck with it because after 10 years, I loved it. That, so that's, that's kind of, that's kind of something that I feel like is, is there's a lot to unpack there too, because I think that that's something too, though, that we get preached at, you know, as kids. And if you, if you went to a U.S. school, they tell you that you have to love your job. I don't. I just, to my core, do not think that that's true. <laughs> I think you need to love what your job lets you do. Um, I, so, and this is where well, I'll, I'll briefly tell the story of like how I, cause I work in tech now, right? I work for cryptocurrency, not cryptocurrency. I work for blockchain startup. That's the, that's the technical term. Um, but I went from working in a call center 
28K a year, right? And I got a Salesforce admin certification. Took me 31 days, cost me $362. Um, I was hired by a company at 70K, four-day work week. And that was a week after I got my Salesforce admin certification. <laughs> so this is, and this is pre-COVID, right? This, this is the beginning of COVID. Which means it's even easier to do that I, now. Well, they furloughed us. They furloughed us from our, they furloughed us from our job. And I was like, I'm never getting the job back. That's a tourism job in Hawaii. And it is never coming back. I was like, I could see it when that happened. I was like, that's the end of that. I'm never going to, I'm never going to work there again. This is just, it's going to disappear. And so immediately I was like, all right, I'm going to start studying. Um, I found it on Reddit. <laughs> Somebody was like, this is a good job. And I was like, okay. And so I went and I found some job listings. I just researched the descriptions. I found it mentioned Salesforce a bunch of times, looked it up. Oh, look, it's free training. Oh, look, the cert cost $250, which at the time was like a staggering amount of money, right? To pay for a, a certification. Um, so I took it, got the job. So I was working there. They gave me a lot of opportunity, very encouraging, helped me to learn a lot of stuff, working on a big uh, like project for captive insurance, which is a super interesting industry all by itself and just learned a lot, great team. And they were like, you need to be a business analyst because that's kind of what I was doing because of my entrepreneurial background. I was just good at talking to the users and figuring out what the problem was and coming up with simple solutions and talking to developers. So like here, go get that. So I got my PMI business analyst certification, did a little bit of data analytics, you know, and then, then they started paying me more. And then I got, um, I took, uh, Pomp's, uh, Anthony Pompliano's cryptocurrency course. Like he's been running cohorts of the, I don't know if you know who that is, but he's been running cohorts through this like intro to cryptocurrency course. And it's this really powerful, mm. cool community of people and, um, super supportive, really encouraging, a lot of fun. And I applied for a job from their job board and then immediately, immediately hired. Wow. And so, <laughs> yeah. And so now I try to be open about, about the money. Cause I think it's important. Um, but like, you know, to go from 28 K to, you know, over 150 in that span of time <laughs> is crazy, right? It's insane, but I don't think it has anything to do with me. I think it has everything to do with demand and strategic research about the job and understanding the job market and knowing the tactics that you need to use in order to get in. Oh, well, in the I'm going to, I'm going to call you out because I think it 100% has to do with you because you thought outside the box, you went and did something unconventional. You signed up for that course and studied it and learned it because you looked at the job listings and you went and did this uh, introduction to cryptocurrency class. It was all about you. Now, can anyone do that if they followed your exact course? Maybe, but you did it. And it was because I, I definitely, I give you a lot of credit to, to do that because it's unconventional and everyone else is basically thinking, well, no, you can't do that. You have to go do the X, Y, and Z to do that. You can't like skip, like our friend James Alshore would say, you basically skipped the line. You went and did it yourself. That's what I was like. I, read, I bought that book when it came out because I was, I love the title. I loved the title. And I was like, this is, uh, this is awesome because everything about that 
just spoke to me as an individual. Cause I like, um, you're, you're a Christian, right? So what the term that I use is table flipper, like Jesus flipping the, t- flipping the tables in the temple. But sometimes I just can't, you know, sometimes just like, come on, <laughs> just break the rules. There's too many of them. There's far too many of them. They're mostly irrelevant and they don't matter. Um, and I think that that's a huge thing too, is just, is just trying to like, share the message with people that you really, if rules don't serve you, you don't need to, you don't need to obey them. Um, and especially for people that people that are just like, you know, you can't do that. I'm like, well, I mean, now that's all I want to do. So (laughs) now I'm going to make sure that I prove you wrong. You know, um, if for no other reason than that other people, like you said, can see what can be done and could see what's possible, you know? And, and so that's kind of like, that's what we're trying to do with degree free. That's a roundabout way of bringing it back to what we're doing. I I have to think on it some more because I think that you possess some unique qualities that not everyone you meet on the street has. And I don't think if everyone followed that same blueprint that you followed, if they would have succeeded. I don't, I don't know if that's true. You've met, you've met people, you've met people and you know, some people just are lazy and don't work that hard. Yeah, I have, but I don't think, I I don't think that that's true of most people. If you show them what to do, show them how to make traction and you say, Hey man, like this is how you can get what you want out of life. Some people don't really want that much though. They're okay with just kind of watching TV and and not really dreaming and exploring. Some people are okay with just kind of an average life. Like they're happy with it. But that's part of like what we're talking about is that a lot of people that what they want out of life is they want to be able to do simple things like they want to be able to get a second dog. You know what I mean? They want to be able to foster dogs, which costs money. They want to be able to buy a little three bedroom house. You know what I mean? They want to be able to take their family out to dinner on Saturdays and they want to be able to pay. Like those are all things that I want too. And a lot of them have just been told that the only way they can do that and the only way to do that responsibly is a way that's really high stress, really high cost, takes a lot of time. And so I think that that's why the degree for message is so universal because I don't think that I'm unique at all. I think that I, that's why I'm so passionate about it. It's like, I'm super, I am super not unique. I'm super ordinary, which is why every step of the way of doing that, I was like, dude, if people knew that they could do this, I was like, I don't think people know that they can do this. And then I started talking about it and I was like, people did not know that they could do this. And that is a problem, right? Like people just need to know what they can do. And for a lot of us, if we grew up in the U.S. school system, we were not told what we could do, which is just so sad. And and it doesn't have to be these big, like flashy, you know, like someone's making $300,000, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, man, people are trying to get to make 50, 60, 70 and be able to live where they want and be able to go out to eat and buy their coffee and live their life and be able to take care of their families. And those, that to me, those are very achievable things. And right now, a lot of people our age and a little bit younger than us are struggling to even do that. And they just don't know what they can do. Mm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's tough. And I, I think I get a bit removed from regular people and every day because it's a weakness of mine. It's a definite weakness for me. I, for one, I believe anyone can achieve anything they put their mind to with the right amount of effort. I believe that 100%. But I also believe there's a lot of people who aren't ever going to put the effort forth to do that. And I've met a lot of people who have impressed me, but I've met a lot of people who are just 
okay with where they're at and they say they want all these things but aren't willing to make any sacrifice to get it and i I know it's tough because you do have to make a temporary sacrifice or get uncomfortable and do something different to be successful you can't just want it you have to do something anything any step it doesn't even matter if it's the wrong step but some kind of step is good and I think if we can encourage people to just think a little bit differently and do anything like you, what you did really well in that story is you did it quick and you just did it and you didn't spend three years pondering and dreaming and wondering. You just did it and you did it quick. And so if it didn't work, great. You only wasted a small amount of time, but if it did work and I could always go back to college, exactly. If it did work, the reward was infinite and i think we need smaller experiments that we can take to get a different taste versus a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar degree that's still a question mark at the end so that's something we tell people to do quite a lot is to work in the industry that they want to work in and what's funny is the pushback that that will get sometimes my my favorite story about this is we had a, a friend who very small girl uh very timid very much not uh guts and gore type of person and she was like oh i'm considering uh she had a very traumatic experience with a family member passing away in her home and you know she passed out couldn't handle just the knowledge that somebody had it was, you know, passed away in the house, blah, blah, blah. But then she's like, yeah, I think I'm going to go be a nurse. But she didn't like blood and she didn't like, and she was, I was like, uh, that really seems like the worst. She's like, well, it's a good job. And I was like, uh, you know, maybe you should go volunteer at a hospital and see if you like working in that environment. And she's like, no, cause I don't want to do it. Cause I think it'll scar me. And instead she just started going to school. And I was like, what if you hate it? Because you definitely But will. you're telling me you're not <laughs> unique, but you're just describing to me the example of basically someone thinking so close-minded that there's only one way forward. And it, to you, it's like so obviously the wrong way forward for that person. But she's, but she's been told her whole life by everybody around her that that's what she should do. And that that's how you do it, right? So is that her or is that because she was young? real young. Right. And I was like, man, I I feel like that's something that then that's where we're trying to solve the problem, right? Teach parents how to teach their kids, teach other people how to show other people what you can do. Um, and you don't have to take, you know, that's James Elcher writing books, like skip the line. Like you don't have to do it this way. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but it's just, to me, it's, you know, just presenting different options. But it's so obvious to you on the outside, like, ah, there's some red flags there. Like, watch Grey's Anatomy, a few episodes of that. And you might realize like, I can't even watch that show. Like when my wife watches it, I have to like, she has to tell me when I have to look away because it, I just can't handle parts of that show. And you'd be a terrible, sorry, you'd be a terrible nurse. (laughs) The only way I could get over it is if I was doing it to save someone or help someone. And I think then I would just suck it up and do it because when under fire, under pressure, I just will do whatever it takes. And so that I'd have to learn in some kind of environment like that. I don't know, be a volunteer paramedic or something. And I, I could do it probably. So. Well, she ended up being, a, she's, she's a paramedic now. She just became, she just became one. And, but it was one of those things where 
And I said, Hey, we have a friend that, you know, is a paramedic. Why don't you go on a ride along? She's like, no, I don't want to get, she goes, no, I don't want to get scarred. I'm like, you realize you're going to have to do that for work, right? Like you realize you're going to have to do that to eat food and put a roof over your head, right? It seems like a recipe for unhappiness. It's, it's an example that's so common. And it's when you're afraid to look in your bank account because you're not sure if you're going to be able to pay your bills that month. So you don't look at the bank account because you don't want to confront the fear of if you can't do it. Or if you're too afraid to step on a scale because you think you might have gained or lost some weight. And so you don't do it. When you What you really need to do is look at that and just take it face on and take that internship as a paramedic for a night and see a gunshot wound and the fact that the paramedic has to put a glove on and stick their finger in there and realize that that's going to be a nightly occurrence for you on that job and <laughs> or more more accurately where where we're from where we're from it was a uh, see that you know every four out of five calls are going to be some you know some crackhead homeless person and i was like and see if that's really the type of working environment you want to be in like because <laughs> it might not be you're a very soft person and i don't think i don't know if you're gonna be super happy living like that you know I think that it's great that you're showing these stories because the stories that not only can become guidebooks like you described, like, hey, here's how I, I got this this education program. Here's where I took this cryptocurrency course from Anthony Pompliano. Here's where I posted on this message board and here's how it worked. But it also just shows like, hey, here's a job that you could do that's a little bit different, that's thinking outside the box and... Let people who are doing something maybe they don't love think for once that they could do something different. Like a lot of people don't believe that they're good enough to go and do something else. A lot of people don't think they're good yeah. enough to save money and go on trips and do these things. But I believe they are and I believe they can, but they need people like you encouraging them because everybody else is basically telling them they can't. Yeah. And I think it's, it's easy to say that, right? It's easy to say you can't do that. It's easy to gatekeep. It's fun to do that too because then you're inside the gate and everybody well, else is Well, usually people that are saying you can't do that are actually just telling you that because they don't think they can do it. So if they can't do it, then you can't do it for sure. Or because they really don't like the fact that someone can take a different path and get to the exact same location. I have discovered that that it's the sunk cost. They get very defensive, very upset when people can get to the same place as them financially or career-wise without doing what they did. What's it like to be in the edges of such a polarizing topic? Because on my show, it, to me, it feels pretty light and airy and not that polarizing. I just talk to people and we talk about stories and I kind of believe it's talking about the good their, people's great lives and how they created them and and thinking outside the box and dreaming and being present and connecting and all this other stuff. But like, what is it like sort of being on this frontier that gets people so mad? I, I like a fight. I like a fight. I do. Um, which I don't know if that's a good characteristic or not to have. I think it's a good characteristic for uh, the topic that I've chosen to speak about and that I care a lot about. I don't know that it's, it's a good way to be in life necessarily, but a lot of it is... I think that it's a little scary because I, people get very angry about it. People get very, very angry um, to the point where I've, um, I have, t I've made sure that my LinkedIn is private um, because someone, 
because people will hunt down your information and try to try to contact your company. And you know what I mean? They'll do all kinds of stuff uh, because they get very upset, which is crazy because I'm like it, the fact, but it's almost confirmation, right? The fact that it's so polarizing is confirmation to me because if, if all I'm saying is maybe that's not worth what they're charging and that is people's reaction, clearly there's something else mm. going on, right? Because to have such a visual, visceral reaction for an educated group of people to have such a visceral reaction to someone posing an ethical challenge or even just a value challenge to this thing that they bought, I'm like, it's almost like encountering a group of like religious zealots. Cause I was like, that's what it's like. It's very much like you're not allowed to criticize the church. Like you're not allowed to criticize, you know, um, you're not allowed to ask if it's worth it. One of the most controversial things I ever said on TikTok, I guess, is uh, said colleges are a lot like cult, like a cult and people lost their minds. And I was like, tell me I'm wrong. The fact that you are so angry right now about the fact that I would say that instead of just logically disagreeing with me is proof positive of the fact that they are teaching you dogma. They are not teaching you education. They're not teaching you to be an educated thinker. They are teaching you to be a religiously dogmatic zealot about academic, moral, virtue, theology, whatever, right? And like, you can't criticize the professors. You can't criticize teachers. You can't criticize the institution. I'm like, in what world, in what world can I not criticize an $848 billion industry, right? That preys on 17 year old children. How come I can't, how come I can't speak on that? Um, but it's amazing how angry people get about it. And so it's, it's more just like, it's a little nerve nerve wracking to be on the edges of it. Cause it's like the more traction we get, the more, uh, the more attention we get, the more it becomes likely that uh, we'll get more intimidating, I guess, enemies as it were. But at the same time, it's, it's like, there's never been anything mm -hmm. as necessary. I there's, think there's an article so, Tim Ferriss wrote since you mentioned him and it was about the size of his audience and comparing it to Manhattan and how many people live in Manhattan and the types of people that live in Manhattan good people and yes, really, really bad article. people. And as your reach and audience yep. grows, you get those good people. You get the people in the middle, but you also get some murderers and some psychopaths and like you get all of the people. And that's really scary. Yep. It, it is, it is a little bit. Um, it is a little bit, but you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you get the crazies for sure. You get crazy messages. You know, I get some crazy, I get some insane comments. Um, but then to hear people that feel so moved to email us and say, Hey, thank you. Like you, you changed my life. You know, you guys, you guys changed my life. And to know that there's someone out there that dodged that bullet that now feels like the world is open to them. Like I could almost cry right now because it's like the most meaningful, you know, it's like, that's, that's what it's about. It, it is the coolest feeling I've ever seen and seeing this community of people we've built, like help each other right? They'll connect and they'll connect and they'll that's help a, each other. That's it's an like, alumni oh, program I want to be in. It's well, we would love to have you. I was going to say, we're going to start like, like you talked about exactly like you talked about. We're going to start doing profiles. Eventually we want to start asking people if they're okay, if we link their information to let people contact them, you know what I mean? Which is obviously that's a huge, like altruistic ask because to get emails from random strangers who want your help, but it's it, but just 
fostering the sense of community and like, hey man, like help, we need to help each other. I would in one minute sign up to meet with people on a frequent basis who are looking to think differently and just don't know how. If someone came to me and said, I want to do life differently than normal, can you help me? I would in a second say, absolutely, let me help you. And just give them a couple things to try. And if they do those things, they're going to be successful. If they don't do those things, they're not going to be successful, unfortunately. And because it's all about the effort. And if they just say they want it and they don't put in the work, they're not going to succeed. But if they actually do it, they will guaranteed succeed. Just by asking questions and thinking differently and looking at the box a little bit differently, I know that they'll be winners. And, And it's fun to see too, because people have so many different definitions of that, of that, right? like their definition of winning is so individual and just to see them for themselves go like, I did what I wanted to do. You know, like we just had a guy that's like, Oh, can we buy you guys a bottle of something? Because he's like, I just got a $25,000 raise. You know what I mean? And cause he went and he learned something and he applied it. And then he, and we're just like, and for him, right. That's more money. He can invest in his retirement. That's like, he could start a little business if he wants to. He could buy a record player, you know what I mean? If that's what he wants and start a small record collection. Like, but it doesn't matter. It's just because he's now more equipped to do what he wants in his life. And he equipped him himself. Yes, he has the keys to the kingdom now. And once that person realizes that they can create their own life, they can go as far as they want to go. If they want to own an island, they're going to figure it out. They'll get there, it, whatever they want. And that's why I just encourage people to just dream really big and write it down and then work backwards to figure it out. And you'll get there. No question about it. Yep. And that's a good way to do it. That's a good way to do it. So yeah. really curious, if someone's listening to this and it's the first time they've ever heard anything like this and maybe they're angry, Or someone's listening to this and they go, hey, this is really exciting. This is a different take than I really have heard before. Like, where should they go next? Like, what, after they listen to this, what should they do? Like, where do they find you? What should they read? Like, what's the entry point into what you're doing? Because I want people to take the next step if this is intriguing to them. Okay. um, If you're angry, I think that you should probably ask yourself why anger is coming into a financial conversation and then deal with that as you see fit. If you want to, you can go listen to our podcast, which is degree free uh, with Ryan and Hannah. And uh, it's just degree free. If you search it on Spotify or Apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and we are actually about to publish our 50th episode. Congrats. Which is crazy. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. We were like, holy crap. I mean, it's hard. Most podcasters don't make it past 10 and most definitely don't make it to 100. Dude, it is brutal. I'm not going to lie. The filming, the producing, the and like we have a team, but it's still just, oh my gosh. It's yeah, it's brutal. The the script writing, the topic research, it's yeah, it's it's brutal, but it's useful for people. You know, Um, if you hear this and you're, you have a question of your own, or you are thinking of your child or, or something like that. And you want some guidance, feel free to email us, uh, contact at degreefree.co and we will answer, we'll answer you. And then stay tuned because we are, we got, uh, we're about to start scheduling our degree free mentor, um, interviews. And Ryan is going to start interviewing people. We've got engineers. We have a 
product owner from Meta who's who's 24 and total total comp uh three hundred and forty five thousand dollars no degree <laughs> uh so that's been interesting we're just like dude and these people are just coming out of the woodwork you know because to share to share how what they did and how they did it and yeah it's going to be really interesting and hopefully really inspirational to people who are looking for what can they do if they don't go to school? Well, thank you so much. It's been so much fun to chat with you. And I feel like we're kindred spirits. And it's just nice to be affirmed that uh, some of my life choices weren't all that bad. And so I'm just so grateful to get to chat with you. And this was so much fun. And um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for listening to this episode of The James Quandall Show. The show notes for this episode and other goodies can be found at quandall.com. Are you enjoying the show? If you are, please subscribe and leave a review. I may end up reading your review live on the next episode. Subscribing, leaving a review, and telling your friends about the show is the best way to support me and help the show grow. See you next time.